Welcome back to Reformed Millennials. The podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Merry Christmas, Cam. Merry Christmas, Joel. Welcome back, last one Mm -hmm. until the new year. Um, So in today's episode, I want to start out quickly by uh, pitching you a new revolutionary idea. Okay. And I think you're going to like it. It's something that we haven't seen in a long time, if ever at all. Mm -hmm. So imagine this. You are a consumer. Yeah, you don't need to close your eyes. (laughs) It's not that important. Um. For the last 10 years, you've been thinking about, man, I wish I could just go to one app. The all-in app. The all-in app. Twitter has been said to have been doing this with X, but I think, you know who's actually going to win? I think it's going to be Prime and Netflix. So I I believe that in 2024, we're going to get a headline that reads, Netflix, Hulu, Max, Paramount Plus, Peacock, Crave, and Apple TV are all joining as one Ooh. and they're going to call it cable plus <laughs> it's going to be 150 dollars a month okay but the only thing that it won't have is sports and news oh so they're now you're going away from the bundle of those two things yeah. and you know what that's going to result in mm-hmm. sports on a whole mm-hmm. demanding less viewership so you're going to go from and this is just the reason why I think Amazon is going to win this, the sports side. You're going to have Netflix that wins out on the this cable bundle I just invented out of thin air. Like entertainment, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll say everything X News and... Yeah, Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to have Amazon that wins the sports rights. And the reason why that is, is that we're, we've gone from who is... We have to change who's subsidizing sports. Because sports has forever required or demanded the largest sum of the revenue generated from the cable bundle. Mm-hmm. And it's just by, by the nature of how important it's been. Yep. 70% of people don't even watch sports, but they're paying for it indirectly. That has been fractured with this, this new ecosystem of everybody having the, their own version of Netflix. You'll have four or five subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And now, there's, now they've voted with their wallets and they've moved away from the cable bundle. Mm-hmm. And the cable bundle needs to be put back together. Mm-hmm. We have internet that's sort of doing it still. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that Prime will be able to do this. And the reason why that is is because they will have people who want on-demand delivery mm-hmm. of their goods and services 
or we'll call it just your, their goods, will be paying for or subsidizing sports. And I think that that's the only way forward. The only business that can justify overspending on sport is ESPN, Disney, and Amazon. Because Google doesn't care that much. They already own, mm -hmm. they already have a platform with all of these people. Mm -hmm. Amazon can justify it because they have 170 million households. The large majority of the wealth is already paying for Prime. So it's my best guess that they are going to be the ones that buck up to pay for the NBA plus playoffs. They're going to buck up for the NHL. They're going to try to aggregate everything. That's what I think happens over the next 10 years. And we're going to end up having a Netflix amalgamation. And then you're going to end up having a prime, we'll call it joint um, so tell us partnership with ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> tell us the United shop. States is getting, yeah. <laughs> is getting their version of our telecommunication monopoly. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy I can't New believe Year. how lucky Americans are going to be to have the worst, I don't know, triopoly mm -hmm. of, of services for their, for their entertainment. They go from what has been the best decade for entertainment in history mm -hmm. to getting what Canada has. So I that's just a guess. I feel like I recall, obviously without listening to previous episodes, that we were kind of on the fence of saying, you know, Netflix has won the streaming battle. Mm. So why would they want to do that combined well, with they others? Don't probably have to. And it probably doesn't actually work that way. Mm -hmm. I just think that that would be just so nice from a consumption perspective. But but then but then they <laughs> yeah, force yeah. down your throat the 150 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be layers to that. I would I would venture to guess. Yeah. But because no one's going to be able to afford 150 bucks a month. Not really. Well, I mean, yeah. plenty will, but not a, yeah. not the the 270 million or 300 million subscribers that they have. They can't afford the 150. Well, they I won't pay it. I recall paying it. You would. No, I recall, like, I mean, in general. You still even, have cable, I guarantee it. Uh, yeah, I got a sick deal last time <laughs> for two years. But did you get home phone with that too? I did not. I opted out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like the last of the cable cut, like, there's going to be another huge cable cut, I feel like. I, I think the U.S. is further ahead than Canada. Would that be fair to say? I Definitely. In terms of that, I think there will be another path to further cable cutting, like I sat down i was like <laughs> with my wife the other day and we were sitting down asking what we should watch or whatever and i was like oh let's just watch something on netflix and like i go into my telus <laughs> turn my telus box on go to the netflix app on telus and watch it it's just like what am i doing so ridiculous but i i can the aggregation on the sports side i don't know where i would sit with that like i i, I understand amazon's positioning there I agree with you that it would be an easier justification for them to spend on that. That would be cool to have that all in one spot, seeing that we're already Prime members. Mm. Easy advertising for them. It would make a lot of sense, from, especially from the uh, standpoint of maybe the NBA, NHL, finding a... And I guess maybe MLB MLB's I guess kind of strapped with Apple right now. I guess we'll be it'll be interesting to see where they land and considering their issues with with viewership as it even before any of this cable cutting issue. But 
like where were the, they're already pretty heavily invested with the NFL, Amazon, mm-hmm. in terms of trying to get oh, more and more. Everything. Well, because like yeah, well that's the thing though is that I I don't know if like would they care? It's like if we can the, the if they NFL, can wedge themselves into the NFL even more, why would they go any further? The NFL denied Jeff Bezos his football team. Oh, so this is so now be he's going revenge to buy all of their rights. <laughs> revenge season. Okay, yeah. I don't know if that's true. I this is mostly just me projecting what I want to see, mm-hmm. and that's. Don't take I mean that they, as it being them a, coming together, especially let's just talk about the that Netflix or that cable bundle for your projected 150 bucks a month or whatever it might be. I think a lot of people actually would be in favor of that and then having obviously the different options within like the ad streams or ad options and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just because I, I mean that's a that is a constant frustration now of people because I mean, yeah, when subscriptions were free five, six, seven years ago or whatever, when everything was really easy to access and it was a $2 rounding error on your credit card statement for access to something, you were pretty excited. It was a really easy thing to justify. And now, obviously, I mean, it feels like every three months we're getting a notification email from one of these subscription services saying, you know, based off your current bundle, your price is increasing by $3 a month. And here are your other options if you want to see it or if you want to seek that out. And now... Like we said before, when we're looking at wallet spend, it's like, well, people are like, well, I really enjoy this entertainment piece is part of my daily life or part of my professional life, whatever it might be. And you're like, I just wish there was not, I didn't have to manage 15 subscriptions on my phone. I wish I didn't have to manage 15 subscriptions for getting the information that I need. Why can't I just have one? Why can't we bundle this? Why can't it be cable plus? Come on. Um, So I think the justification from the consumer would be, it would be easy to get over that initial, the pushback's always going to be there. Oh, this is way too expensive. But then it'd be like, well, look at the convenience, just like no different than us having to choose our TELUS or Shaw packages back in the day. Mm -hmm. We first sign up and say, well, I don't need any of this stuff, but it's like you're forced to have it. So you're like, well, maybe I'll throw TLC in there too. Why not? Exactly. I think that it's going this direction mostly because I'm of the opinion that 70% of people are pretty... Um, they've removed themselves. They're not into sports. So ipso facto, they're going the direction of choosing these these selections mm-hmm. of, of Netflix, Crave, Prime, if you're Canadian, or Hulu, or HBO, et cetera, yeah. in the United States. They've, they're no longer paying for these sorts of things. I think it has to go this direction. And the only person or business that I believe that can put this all together mm-hmm. is going to be Amazon. CBS and Paramount, they're all going up for sale right now. Um, I mean, my understanding is I think the 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 enterprise is valued at $10 billion market cap, $25 billion enterprise value. That's a huge chunk of change to buy. So who's going to be able to buck up and actually make that happen? I don't know. Select few. Yeah. Very select few. This is not something that just any business can come in and grab. Not only that, $15 billion in debt is an enormous amount of debt to service and on a pretty small or ever diminishing subscription bundle. Mm. So we'll see how it goes. I just wanted to throw that at you as as it, um, we, we kind of come to the end of the year and in 2024, first week, I plan on doing like my 2024 predictions. So this is your early one. This is my early one. A little, that little is taster. unlikely to occur next year. I, I'm very much in the camp that this will be over a five-year period. But um, I don't know. I thought I'd, I'd get your thoughts on that. Um, last week, we had Netflix drop 
what do they call it? It's basically what we watched in Netflix engagement report. Mm-hmm. And it talked about the amount of hours viewed of, of certain shows. Um, this is the first time they've ever released this sort of information. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, since 2021, they've been doing the most popular grouping of, of top 10 shows, top 10 movies that people are watching right now. But the amount of hours viewed from January to June 2023 <laughs> list is sh- kind of shocking to me. How the heck is The <laughs> Night Agent season one number one? Because it shows like that, easy to watch. Who's in something. it? I have never even no one. seen it. No one. It's all good. You don't need to. You what don't is it need about? to feel bad about. What is the night agent? I think, from my understanding, this is uh, from hearing. I haven't watched the show. I have it on my watch list because it. of I've mentioned JJ Reddick, the basketball yeah. uh, ESPN podcaster. Yeah. He mentioned it on a podcast, and I was like, "Oh, maybe that'll be good." He. It's essentially, I think, someone who works for the FBI and. I think was disgraced or got something, something bad happened where he was on probation or something like that. So then he was assigned to be kind of the, what was that show with Samuel Jackson and Ryan Reynolds, the bodyguards, something, body- Deadpool. No, whatever it is. It's like, it, it was a, there is another movie kind of about the same type of role where it's someone in a kind of remote, like field agent scenario and they the phone they just sit by a phone all day no 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 like fbi or cia type thing and it's like the phone only rings like once every year kind of thing and it's usually nothing Mm -hmm. but they they're forced to be there so it's like almost my understanding and this might not be true in this one case this case clearly sucks but no but it's but then it's about him picking up the phone one time and then he saves like the world kind of thing because it's this like actual problem so it like it builds this apparently this suspense in the first episode and then it just runs consistently action is my understanding and it obviously must be because there's 812 million hours viewed in a six-month time frame actually and it was released in march of 23 or march 23rd of 23 and it had 812 million hours viewed yeah. before the end of june awesome so rounding out the top five you got Ginny and georgia season two you have the glory season one wednesday so that's the uh adams family i'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it is season one and queen charlotte a bridget bridgerton bridgerton story mm-hmm. you know what shocks me about this the most that you have if anything? you continue down this list of shows mm-hmm. absolutely none of them are shows in which you would stand around a water cooler or sit at lunch and at, and admit that that's what you're watching at home. Mm. Also, I don't think there's a lot of Emmy or Oscar Zero. nominations. <laughs> so now this comes to me. This is a, I saw this skit on a reel last night mm-hmm. before I went to bed. And um, I think it's, I can't remember what the guy's name is. Anyways, he, he, he uh, he's like, this is going to be a controversial statement that I'm making here. But we're currently sitting at 3.9% unemployment. And he's like, I, I think about this and I'm like, how I've met a lot of people in my life. Sure. How is it that only that 97% of Americans have a job? He's like, I'd like to twist this around. I don't think 90% of people deserve to have a job. I think you should have 80% of people don't deserve a job. When you look at the average American, do they truthfully actually deserve to be employed? And I'm like, well, yes, they do. Of course, everyone deserves a job. But 
at the same time, you're thinking about, I think about this like top 10 list. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, that is some pretty crappy show. There's not a lot of quality there. This is what we're spending our time on. Mm. I, I just implore people, get rid of Netflix, get HBO. It's just better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the fact that the choice is there and then the this is what is chosen. 812 million hours viewed, and all I hear about is how people have no time to do anything. Mm. I'm thinking it's possible that if you're spending your time watching The Night Agent, you yeah. got lots of time to do lots of things. <laughs> yeah, I think the like what is what is entertainment at its core for us? It sounds like to me like this is you're spending your time on your phone and the night agent's on in the background. Correct? That you're shopping in But like what is entertainment at its core? It's an escape. Yeah, okay. Right? That's fair. And so not to mention I mean how many hours are are run times where you're sitting in bed? And you don't have the the question doesn't get asked about do you want to go to the next episode and you're playing for eight hours while you're sleeping. Yeah, but, <laughs> I'd, but I would at its love at its core. All of this is an escape for people like I, I'm reading down this list about I can't halfway find a down. single show. That love I is blind. Like. like all of these reality shows Emily that are now Paris. popping up. And that's a pretty good show. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's it's the ease like you talk about well, HBO is you know, higher, higher quality and bigger production and better storylines, all that kind of stuff. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is when people house a dragon, for example, or whatever it might be, how people is don't want to fall in into first place. <laughs> <laughs> it's not available globally. That's why. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Ah, this, the escape that comes with an easy to watch background noise right. piece of entertainment cannot be understated because seems if you're me, sitting there and if you're watching if you're watching house of dragon whatever it might be you can't be on your phone you can't be on your phone you have to be paying attention to him mm. we're like I'll, I'll save that for the weekend i'll save that for this i think i don't want to have this. here i think you're on something it's 100 it. and it's also i i talked to my wife about this too the other day about like comfort around something so i mean like these shows wouldn't apply like i I'm talking like the offices and like I saw like New Amsterdam on here and Grey's Anatomy on here. Like old shows that New Amsterdam is unwatchable now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't need a breakdown of, yeah, of okay. the current episodes of New Amsterdam. But what I'm saying is like those these shows, even like Love is well, I mean not Love is Bind. I think a lot of these are like you watch them once and then it's done. But there's also all these shows that would be further down this list in terms of hours viewed because, you know, it's a cyclical thing, but people have this comfort zone with with something that is not, I don't want to be engaged when I'm being entertained almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, it is not, that doesn't compute in my head in comparison to what we would have grown up with, with entertainment. Because it's like, it was, it was an event to be able to watch something every Thursday night or to be able to see this, you know, you'd have to buy it on DVD mm -hmm. to rewatch it. You don't have that availability. And now with obviously the ease of all of that, the we've talked about the fracture of entertainment it's also the the muddying down of entertainment but then the fact that they can probably produce all these things and get them out how with relative ease shows that as long as they just if you throw enough darts at the dartboard there's yeah. going to be enough success and totally. it's going to be able to finance the the future 10 projects that you're going to possibly do. you know what i also i think about here is just how much more powerful the ad platform of meta is Mm. and snapchat versus 
anything that is on your television because truthfully you're not even watching the tv if you're watching this stuff not really i mean yeah that's fair there's no way you're paying attention to that which is another reason why i think about sports and you have to be watching to an extent um emily in paris how much if if 500 million hours were watched in that that seven month period mm -hmm. i'm guessing 85 percent of that time you're spent on Instagram because there's no way you were watching that show. I mean, maybe you were. It is hard to believe that there's that many hours. You're right. Right. You'd have to not be watching, but sort of watching, which means you were really double liking or liking things on Instagram or sending memes to your friends. And that's probably what you were doing if you were watching that show. Or one thing from Emily in Paris was like talking about something in Paris. And you're like, oh, I want to learn more about that. Boom. <laughs> exactly. Or yeah. you think about the brands that they're, they're dealing with, yeah. whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, clearly, I've seen Emily in Paris. Uh, <laughs> I'm no better than anybody, by the way. I've seen half of these shows. The transition here, um, Cam, moving to markets. I've had enough of this entertainment stuff. We can talk sports later. Sorry, I'm just summing up all the hours watched. <laughs> <laughs> Add them all up for me quickly. 50 billion? Nice. That's sad. That's so gross. Um, that's what they're spending on Dodgers pitchers over the next 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, what an absolute joke that is. $1 trillion on two Japanese pitchers. I'm sure, yeah, as an aside before markets, I'm sure the MLB is so happy about this out in their contract availability to make to allow what Otani did mm -hmm. to actually work. Major League Baseball is going to be unwatchable if they continue with this. Because it, it's just creating, it's going back to the when we were kids in the 90s when the Yankees and picked the three, there was three teams that spent all of the money, paid all of the, they don't care about paying the luxury tax or whatever mm -hmm. penalty there is in, in terms of salary, which to be fair with what the Dodgers did, they're actually not, they structured everything perfectly to the T with Otani. They're able to take this, you're, you were mentioning this other Japanese pitcher, or mm -hmm. that's what you alluded to anyways. Yamamoto. 12 year, $320 million contract. He's not, he hasn't pitched a single ball in the MLB yet. And he's making that good for him. But the Dodgers are going to be able to load up. There's going to be three or four teams again that are going to have the payroll. Mm -hmm. And they're going, like, I mean, if the Dodgers don't win, it's like one of the, it's like Golden State versus Cleveland for the four years there in the NBA where it's like you could tell who was going to be in the finals before right. it even happened. But there was the rhetoric around basketball at the time was completely different. With baseball, it's always, it's already it's they made some changes that maybe you know slower game sped it up more young better benefits for younger players able to make more money great power hitters pitchers basically like honing in on on the all-stars that were in the game and, and making it easier for them to shine all good over the last two years but now you're if you're allowing like teams to become like the la dodgers to become a juggernaut like that it's like if you're a pittsburgh pirates fan what are you interested in 162 games during the year. You have zero chance at any any success. All there's going to be out of the 30 whatever teams there is, there's going to be 20 of them that ha literally have no chance from day one. Mm -hmm. So unless you're an, an absolute purist of the game or of your team, well, you're, you're not showing up already anyway. Yeah. So it's like that's the one thing I would say about like we make fun of the NHL mm -hmm. all the time with the, and make fun of the hard salary cap, and there was a bunch of like economic issues that have led to the last three years, there being like no growth from that standpoint, mm -hmm. which were some issues that would never have been foreseen given the fact that there was COVID mm -hmm. and how gate driven that league is. But 
with the hard salary cap, like the there's what four teams out of it as of today, five teams out of, completely yeah. out of it in terms of a playoff race. But there's hope for all those other teams, and you're able to go on a run potentially and get back into the playoff picture, and you have interest going into the latter months of your regular season. In baseball, you literally have 20 teams that on day one can say, "I'm not, we're not making it." Yeah, we don't even care. Yeah, which but, is like I think that is like there is power in in. Um, but hold on. What? How is it that Miami, mm-hmm. with like the smallest budget every year, beats the Blue Jays? You mean the the Tampa Bay? The, not, yeah, Tampa Bay Rays. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tampa Bay Rays. Well, I mean, yeah. There's always going to be one offs. One offs. They do it every year. Okay, well, I mean, I'm saying one-offs in terms of an organization. So they oh. obviously have a secret sauce there in terms of their scouting and their player development and like the the staples of what makes a sports team good. That's making them good. Yeah. But that's one team. I'm saying. Yeah. Is it in the whole group? Is it mostly Dominican Republic people on that team? Like, how, what? Who do they? Well, got they yeah, they, to? they they sign kids when they're like 15, 16, which you're able to do when they're not going through the college ranks, which yeah. is really it's a yeah really interesting, unbelievable the structures on those, but. They're essentially like a feeder team, like a feeder team for the big guys. Yeah, like for the dogs. teams get really good, and or the players get really good, and they get signed by the big guys. But what I'm saying is, like, how would you expect your sport to continue to grow when you completely? And it's the same for basketball. So it'd be a good, it would be a good um, uh, case to go into mm-hmm. is terms of like how much did how much of uh, like when the Bulls were winning every year in the '90s was basketball. Michael Jordan was what made basketball great lebron james is what made basketball great during his run steph curry that these two pinnacles of the sport and it was their teams pitching against each other and people that were fans of the minnesota timberwolves and they had no chance of winning maybe we're still interested in basketball because of the the drama and the storylines of these two players going against each other i don't know if baseball has that they don't otani could be that it's like oh i want to see this guy win but he's got no personality he's got no Mm. like viewership outside of outside of japan shoes doesn't have shoes but but you know what i'm saying like with there's not the same i don't feel like anyways i'm not a baseball purist or a huge fan i'm definitely a casual but as a as a casual basketball fan i was still interested in seeing because like every single day you were hearing about these storylines that that come from them to dodgers games okay so it'll i think it'll be interesting to see if like maybe this these mega teams maybe that does create more overall buzz like obviously mm-hmm. again the pittsburgh pirates fan who hasn't quite frankly seen a win in 14 years if they don't bring back more home runs or people that that's are all it is records, what are you talking about that's all i want no i want records bro oh you want juice yeah, yeah. i want 100 <laughs> home run seasons well that's never gonna happen Not unless right. they start juicing the balls down because these pitchers are throwing 103 now that's it's all a, it is it's, ga- it's guys throwing gas and guys hitting bombs that's all it is which is awesome but I need, I need. It's records. not. It's great. It's great for highlights. It's and it's great for following things on Twitter. It's yeah. not good for the product of the game, which yeah. is again what they need. Totally. So you I know what I, we need. We need. I need my boy Steve Cohen on this podcast. He would be great. for his answers as to how to fix need, the game. Yeah, because he would have. You know what his answer is? Being in on all of these contracts, he wanted to spend the exact same amount of money as the Dodgers did. So that's Who what I'm saying. Who owns the Dodgers? A, it's a consortium, I think. It's like people. a conglomerate. Yeah. Like Ma- Ma- Magic Johnson is like a part owner and yeah, I'm pretty sure he's 0.6%. Like but <laughs> uh, but I, I just like it's it's that that old question of is is parody better 
overall or is the mega teams better for the overall sport? I don't so even again, have an answer for that. So because I just think that basketball basketball footprint. has this global NFL even has a global footprint now in yeah. terms of its popularity. So then again, if you're if you're not in Cincinnati or you're not like in where the, your team might suck for years, but like the sport is still growing, then that's a good thing mm-hmm. overall for like the owners and the players and all that kind of stuff. But for like like baseball, like outside Japan has its own league, Korea's got its own league. I don't know of unless you're fall unless those fans are following their players over in North America. I don't think there's just like random people in these countries that are fans of the New York Yankees or fans of the Boston Red Sox. They or just fans have of hats. the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's such a North American or it's such a USA thing, realistically. Like, there is some interest, obviously, in Canada and baseball, but I don't think not to the same degree. Our population's tiny anyway, yeah. so it doesn't matter. So it's like, when you're, when you're landlocked in terms of your popularity, I feel like in order to grow, you need to have more people interested in your sport for a longer time. Not to mention the fact that baseball, 162 games, like, you're playing every day. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to be invested in a sport that is so regular outside of, like, again... They must pull their hair out, pull their hair out thinking sometimes, how does do these NFL guys get paid when they get paid and get the notoriety they get, they get for 16 or 17 games? So well, it's, I, I just think it's, there's a, this dynamic that needs to be fixed. And I, I personally don't think that having these mega teams in the MLB is going to be a successful thing for them. I think it goes counter to what they were building in the last couple of years in terms of having all of these young stars in a bunch of towns that aren't necessary or cities that aren't necessarily mega cities. Like I know like Atlanta, for example, if they've won the world series two years ago, have two or three like huge stars. Atlanta is a huge, like we don't think of it, but it's a huge, and it's a huge hub in general for like popular, like third or fourth or like one of the major like airports and like travel centers and to the the South, right? It's the number one airport in the United States. Yeah. So it's like, I don't think of Atlanta as a big city, but it is. It's an export hub, right? But but there's other like again there's countless like young stars in cities that aren't like it's the, like the Connor McDavid or Leon Draisaitl equivalent of being in Edmonton being in like Cincinnati or being in Pittsburgh or being in pick your pick your Colorado Rockies or something like that like all these right. like small market teams and it's like if you want to be able to um, you have to two things that you have to tell your owners either one you there's going to be parity and the able the chance for you to be able to grow and and gain national notoriety or notoriety with your team or your players and earn more money that way by having a successful team or it's like we're going to blow the MLB up in general to such a popularity level that there's so much money coming in into the main bank account where it's going to be spread amongst all the teams and you shouldn't necessarily care about your individual team success and I don't think they're at that point where they can rely on the global success of the MLB to then manifest the return on investment that they would need at the individual level so like if i'm the 20 teams that are out of it on day one i have my hand up in the board of governor meeting saying like what are we doing here how is this going to benefit me in the long run so hard cap coming i think there's some kind of mixture that needs to be involved because i again i but think when does that happen it probably has to it comes at uh, their next negotiation yeah well it's every like five or ten years whenever the i'm not sure when so there's, there's the dogs are going to bleed they're going to have these these contracts in place they bought some fairly young they said their pay- they're in 10 years when Otani's like first like kick in happens like their their payroll in that year is um larger than like five teams combined like cuz of all the deferrals and stuff right. on their contracts it's ridiculous which like I don't blame them for doing it 
No, of course. If I'm the Dodgers, I'm doing the same thing. They're gonna have like a seven hundred million dollar salary that year. But it's just like absurd. Back to the entertainment. I just don't like if you're trying to with the amount of things that we are able to watch with eight hundred and twelve million hours being viewed on the night agent season one in six months or three months. It's like how are you getting? How are you peeling away a hundred million of those hours and getting them to baseball? Is it is it propping up the three or four teams and just making a huge deal out of to be fair out of all those guys or of all sports that yeah. I would sit on my phone and watch? Mm-hmm. Baseball would be number one. So having the background, having have, in the background, listen to Buck Martinez. Yeah, the only problem is is that the rest of my family would hate me, so I, I wouldn't get away. Put with Bluey it. on, Dad. Yeah, Bluey, Bluey. <laughs> now my kid loves that number thing. Oh, I had to tell him that Prime. Prime TV was broken and Jeff Bezos ran out of money because we we I'm not watching any more like color show and blippy I can't do it no it's over it's broken until the new year all Christmas all we have access to is Netflix and Crave Mm -hmm. so if you like anything on there buddy go ahead but Jeff Bezos (laughs) ran out of money we're done so sorry Jeff in a market update Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos actually didn't run out of money. Thank goodness my son, who's not even three, doesn't listen to my podcast. Um, we had a pretty crazy rally back yesterday after a big dip. Big dip on Wednesday. Mm. Um, and I think that it's likely going to continue through the end of the year. I'm going to be watching like a hawk in between Christmas and New Year's. It's going to be very important for sentiment. Um, as the first eight days of, of January go, so does the rest of the year. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a banger January this past year. Mm-hmm. With any luck, we'll have another one. But what what is exactly what are we exactly going to work through to have a great year next year? Because right now we've priced in that there's going to be cuts, three to six cuts next year. Mm-hmm. And if they're cutting, why? Right. So if I were to sit here with you and talk through this, we're going to be under the impression that rate cuts always happen because interest rate or rather um, the economy is doing poorly. But I want to re-engage everybody in, in, in how they're thinking. Interest rates as, a, as an absolute number, yeah. let's say we're at 5 to 525 right now in terms of whatever the cost of borrowing is. People need to now think about that relative to the actual forward-looking inflation number. So we're currently in the United States looking at what is going to be not past rollover of three point whatever percent right now. Mm-hmm. Forward looking, if we're increasing pricing at 0.1% to 0.2% per month, multiply that by 12 and you're between 2 or 1.5 and 2.5. That is target. So now that 2.5%, you need to think about what is, is called not nominal but real interest rates. Mm-hmm. So real interest rates is the gap between the ongoing rate, which is 5 to 525, and actual inflation. And if forward-looking inflation is 2 or 2.5, two our real inflation rate or real um, rate of interest is 2.5% above inflation. And that is, in the eyes of what it seems like the Fed and Bank of Canada is talking to consumers about, sufficiently tight. And if we continue to see disinflation, or deflation, which I don't know if you're watching the commodity index, which I'm sure I was the only one watching it yesterday, plummeted. So look at Natty Gas, look at all of the contributors to um, commodities, Mm -hmm. and you saw a decrease, which is a huge contributor to actual inflation. Um, And then you combine that with the rolling um, real rent. So rent, 
housing, all of those things. If you take all of that into consideration, plus the, the, the reality that our five-year mortgage rate in Canada is now below 5% as the lowest offering. If you consider all of those things, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, is all what they're saying is that we've done it. Or mm -hmm. we believe that we've, we've accomplished mm -hmm. bringing inflation back down into our control. Yep. That we are sufficiently tight and probably more so than we need to be. Which is probably a good thing. Which is probably a good thing. Which means that if they do cut rates one, two, or three times next year, it's not because we're going into recession, but rather the fact that they think that they're over tight for where inflation is mm. and that they want to continue to keep and not destroy our employment. So I had this argument with one of uh, a friend, client, and he's very much on the left side of, of things in terms of he wants to see wage growth. He wants to see all of those things. But in reality, what we want to see is st stability. I know this sounds terrible, but the government doesn't want to see rampant wage growth. That is not good for our economy. I know it seems like, oh, no, 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 we want people to make more money. Well, eh, no, we don't. We want them to have a higher standard of living. Mm -hmm. And that comes with the decreasing in price of items and goods that you need yeah, to purchase. Yeah, so you things. can grow wages as much as you want, but if it costs more for everything, then what's All the, that will result yeah. in is your TV prices going up, your grocery that prices going up. Cable gas plus prices. now is 175 Yeah, <laughs> more like 250 I keep hearing terrible things about the cost of, of dog food. What, what's that like in your, your household? Your dog eats nothing. Yeah, he's just leftovers. He just gets pieces of ham off yeah, the table. Yeah. yeah, and my dog, you know, if I had one, <laughs> he'd honestly, he'd just he'd be, be eating my salad. He'd be hunting in the backyard for birds. <laughs> yeah, he'd have to be. Yeah. He'd have to be. So this is all to say that we're in a really good spot. Kind of surprising because heading into this year, every economist said we were going into recession in 24. Uh, in mm -hmm. 23. I haven't seen it yet. We haven't had a multiple quarters of, of um, lower GDP output. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem like it's coming in 24. The amount of people talking about it occurring in 2024 are shrinking and dying off by the day and being mm -hmm. converted to bulls. Mm. So that's all... Well, it's easier to be a bull, though. Well, of course it is. You've, the clarity in, in our economy and our, the clarity in our and um, the, the market is just so much better now. Mm -hmm. So now you have to start to think about, okay, a lot of this is priced in. Mm -hmm. So where are we headed next year? Mm -hmm. What's What hasn't participated? So for me, that that's a big shift. We've seen the large majority of the market gain come in big the big mega caps. Yeah. Um, in Canada, we haven't participated at all, basically. You've seen the NASDAQ rip 50. You've seen the, the S&P rip 22. Mm -hmm. And the Dow's even up more than the TSX. And so the TSX, which is made up mostly of energy, industrials, telecommunications, and banks hasn't taken part. And that's mostly because it's value, Yeah. right? And if you are in, of the opinion that Canada is going to be a good place to put money, which a lot of strategists have been speaking about, it's undervalued, it's trading at like 15 times next year's earnings. You have that versus a, an 18, 19, um, an assumption in, on the S&P 500 that seems rel relatively pretty good value. Um, if you see a reversion of the yield curve, that's really good for banks. Banks are 30 plus percent or financials are 30 plus percent of our of our market. All mm -hmm. of those things seem to be pretty bullish for Canada. And that actually makes me pretty bullish for Canada. And if we start to see our mortgage rates come down sub four and a half percent to affordability levels, I am not concerned about our real estate market either which means that REITs seem like they're a decent opportunity. All of those things 
start to be become clear mm -hmm. to investors. Well, I think it's but like the there's two things with real estate though. I think and like I just want to be clear here. Like you're talking about like affordability mm. in the context of what is it? What's my what's my rate that I'm paying? Yeah. Yeah. Not affordability in, okay, look, we've seen this initial exodus out of some of our bigger overinflated centers. So let's just call it Toronto and Vancouver. We've been seeing some in Calgary as mm. of late. Yep. That problem of home affordability from the sense of the cost of the home, not the cost of borrowing to get the home. That issue is still rampant. Like, I mean, we've talked about oh, yeah. it at length in well, terms the of- The remortgaging even. Yes, that, that, I think that's the, Super the context. for a lot of people. Yeah. When you have fixed mortgages rolling over at a 20% annualized clip, mm -hmm. people are really, really worried about the distribution of 2024, 25. Yeah. And people re-mortgaging their homes. Yeah. When they were going from 169 to they're probably 2.5% mortgages, and they're re-upping at 5 to 6.5, toast. Mm -hmm. You're never getting in that thing. Yeah. If you aren't staying with the same lender and that same lender, if they aren't basically saying, well, you're only paying interest, you can't afford your house anymore. Yeah. Right. Get down to sub four and now you can remortgage and you're not dead. That is a huge change in consumer sentiment. Mm -hmm. It's going to make people feel richer. And that is all to support our a better economy. And that's kind of where I'm getting at here. I'm worried about not new home buyers, not the person that, is kind of toast right now. The Gen Z, the late millennial home buyer. I'm talking about people that are already in homes as it is. The mm -hmm. family, the core of our economy, which is the 30 to 50 year old that mm -hmm. does the majority of the consuming, right? Mm -hmm. That is the concern in Canada. So, and I think it's a delicate like to just reiterate about when you're looking at that, the spread, let's call it between future looking inflation and real rates yeah the real rate of inflation or real rate of interest yeah that is what is going to be a hot topic all the way th through the first quarter of next year and is if you're assuming this gap is there or this buffer let's call it mm -hmm. of saying like maybe we're a little bit over tight or maybe we're way over tight but we want to keep that we want to be a little bit over tight all the time do, yeah is like why that makes sense to me is that as you we talked about how obviously we we went higher quicker than ever before in history mm -hmm. or try and tighten things as fast as possible. Excuse me. The, if we start, as we reduce rates, that's obviously as any economist would say, or the econ 101 class as soon as you start university, that spurs spending, mm -hmm. spurs additional debt being taken on. Mm -hmm. If we do that too fast, that, infl that inflation number that we're talking about, that totally. forward looking starts to inch up. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, such a delicate balance 100%. of making that. So I I think what we said before in terms of we're not going to see a decline. We might never, like you said before, we might never see a decrease to what we were at in our lifetime ever again. Probably shouldn't realistically. You know what if we do? I think what we've done is we've found so many new efficiencies yeah. in production. Yeah. And that's possible, you know? I sure Actually, is, yeah. you know what? I would reverse that and say I think that it is possible. If we were to find ways in which we can reduce the cost of goods sufficiently so that we are seeing 1% inflation mm -hmm. rates and a stabilized standard of living and ever-increasing standard of living of raising of all boats, why, why can't we have a 1% or 2% interest rate again? Like, it's super possible. Mm -hmm. However, with all that said, I actually find that where we're 
headed this year. Can the world ever get on the same page enough for that to happen? No. And you know what? I think that's another thing that I wouldn't say is reversing, but it's quite clear that Asia is bending the knee to the West in, in, a, in the sense that they've recognized that they need to continue um, down the road of globalization because without it, they end up having a shrinking economy, mm. which then sends the, their population into disarray and they're harder to control. It's so much easier to control population when things are getting better. When things are getting worse. I don't know if anyone remembers how hard it was to control the population of Canada when we had the pandemic, but that was the most tumultuous time of my life in terms of differences of opinion, differences of of practice, of of healthcare. All of those things were impossible. Yeah, like like people's values, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, like, yeah. it's amazing what were, comes to the top. People were reciting the the, decor- the not Declaration of Independence, but the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada. I don't mm. even think we even knew what that was going into 2019. <laughs> right? Well, you you knew, but you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. There's people that can recite paragraphs now. Mm-hmm. And it's quite clear that that is mostly because of economic instability. Stability brings social uncertainty. And that is, we're still mending from it. Mm -hmm. I still have arguments with people about like the way in which Alberta is treating its healthcare workers and and the budget and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's devastating still. You're still dealing with issues that exist. And um, in Asia, I think they are more so than we are. If anything, North America has done a phenomenal job dealing with post-pandemic inflation. Europe is not doing an awesome job of it. They're 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 trying to thread a, a needle through a hole that I don't think it exists. They're, it's definitely concerning. Um, but with all that said, market did really well. Japan was up nearly thirty percent. Um, the UK slash Europe was up in the double digits, it outperformed Canada. But with all that said, (laughs) the market is not the economy, Mm -hmm. right? So um, going into next year, I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about our side of the the ocean, Mm -hmm. pretty optimistic about small caps. I think that mega caps are really well priced at at these levels. Um, We're looking at $230 in S&P earnings next year. And an 18 or 19 times multiple, which is telling most people that you're going to see an 8 to 10% gain. That, again, isn't my prediction. It's just what people are pricing in at the moment. That yep. is the, if you look at all the strategists on the street, that's what they're they're saying the average comes to. Yeah. The median, sorry. Um, so for me, uh, I'm of the opinion that we had a massive run in FANGs and the NASDAQ. It's about time for the, <clears throat> the S&P 600 or the the small cap, micro cap sector to catch up. Mm-hmm. They are terribly cheap. And you could see a similar rally that we saw in the NASDAQ happen there. If we truthfully don't, we do have that soft landing actually occur. And small caps do better during um, election years, which is what's coming in the United States. Megas don't because they're the ones that get regulated and mm-hmm. uncertainty is bad for high multiples. Mm-hmm. Uh, uncertainty is better relatively for value. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's going to be the year for Canada. It's going to be a good year for for <clears throat> kind of the forgotten names in the U.S. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Again, not financial advice. Um, if you want the real stuff, you can call your guy or whatever. Um, <laughs> moving on, you got any uh, 
recommendations? Um, I told you I watched. I mean, going back to Netflix, I watched that End of the World movie. It's not even the name of it, but with it's got Julia Roberts. Uh, not Sean Penn. What's the guy from Trade Day? Not Denzel Washington. The guy, the the tradee, whatever that guy's name is. Um, Ethan Hawke. There we go. Ah, and um, Marshall Ali, one of our favorites. So saw the cast list, and I'm like, no, there's no way this is good. It's not not gonna be. Good. Yeah, this was the same thing with yeah. was that the one with Sandra Bullock that got all the the memes with yeah. the bird box or whatever box, it was. Yeah. yeah. So I had the same takeaway after. First of all, I had no idea what was going on in the entire movie for like the first half an hour. Like Joanna's looking at me. She's like, am I supposed to be interested or scared or what's going on? It is essentially like a doomsday type movie in terms of what our society has turned into. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of makes you feel if you follow the whole thing through and if you really think about it, it kind of is one of those things that's supposed to make me think about how, like, about the... It's funny because it's Netflix playing on a movie about us being... Obsessed with... Obsessed technology. with technology and obsessed with ourselves and obsessed with USA, USA, that kind of idea and and being engulfed in our phones and not really seeing what's happening around us. So, obviously, funny that a production company comes out with something that is against what they are ultimately trying to do, but I just... like. That's the one like you talked about. It made me spur this in my head when you said about quality before of this entertainment. And we've tried to like even during the writer's strike and stuff like that and how people have been, how a lot of these companies have been scaling down on their, on their budgets in terms of, it's because like you can't just throw out 500 like darts to the dartboard continuously. Like I said before, like right now that's kind of what it feels like is that they're just trying to do so much and whatever hits, it's going to hit enough where it's going to fund the next round of, of ideas like this one to me it's like i was like how is this good is this supposed to be the way that it's like produced and, and shown like are these actors really is this what they want to do with their lives now are these getting paid so much money that they don't really care about the product anymore i That's don't know exactly what it is yeah it, so it was like for me anyways i left it feeling like okay like i i guess there's like a message there for us to think about but in terms of it's being like how it was propped up on the platform and then even the description and talking about like one of the best movies of the year or whatever it might be. I was like, are the bar for what a great movie is? This just doesn't seem to be what it used to be for us. So I'm, I'm, I don't even I'm think old. People know where to I'm, set it anymore. I'm Abe Simpson kind of shaking my fist at the cloud a little mm -hmm. bit right now. But like, even like I was looking at, I think there was like Emmy lists or Oscar like lists or whatever for like, 2024 like kind of an early look or maybe there's already nominations i'm not sure where that stands but like i was going through all that list and i'm like i haven't heard of one of these things but they're supposed to be amazing it's supposed to be amazing film right like amazing like the best of the best in terms of like the art dune too baby. the art of film right and it's like that's the stuff that we can't none of that stuff is in the medium that anyone consumes anymore you have to seek it out you have to be fractured to the point of you knowing where to find those things mm -hmm. whether it be sometimes i guess traditional theater but a lot of it's like you know, foreign film or you, you have to be in the know in order to see it. Whereas when we were 14 and we the have five cable plus the it six, will all, everyone <laughs> yeah, okay. will come back. But like the six movies that would have been up for picture of the year, mm -hmm. you would have for sure heard of five of the six of them and you would have probably watched three of them just naturally. Right. Yeah. I feel like. And wow. now it's just not the case. Are I we going to go back to the theater next year? 
Is that possible? Oh, we're going for sure during the break here. Are you? Yeah, Paw Patrol. And oh, um, <laughs> uh, we have so many gift cards where we're like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to go out for a movie are, night. Are but the ones that I got from 2016 to 2020. Still good. Still good. Still good. Is Cineplex still a thing? They are. They are? Okay, yeah. good. I do have a bunch of those. Yeah. They are paper. Do they accept paper? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. All right. I wouldn't mind going to a movie in between. Um, my recommendation this... Uh, yeah, I guess this, it wasn't a recommendation. Sorry. Like, watch it, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> Or don't. Yeah. Who cares? No one's watching it anyway. Or everyone is. Uh, the yeah, Alex, everyone has been. Yeah. The Lex Freeman interview with Jeff Bezos was really good. I watched through the whole two-hour-plus interview very very much worth everybody's time to check that out um i have like five takeaways that i'll throw in the newsletter Mm -hmm. um my other recommendation is what happened in ai in 2023 it's a securities podcast that's put out by lux capital i highly recommend everybody tune into that it's about i don't know 45 minutes long and it is clips from like five to ten minute clips Mm -hmm. from each one of their ai slash um interviews from the year okay and lux capital is for people who don't know or haven't been listening to this podcast forever uh josh wolf who is the founding and chief investment officer of the the fund and manages the private capital of bill gates Mm -hmm. is the interviewee or interviewer for a lot of the the shows and they take a investment approach different than most private equity slash um, venture capital firms in that they try to fund incredibly difficult things. Mm. And um, he has a, a theory of the directional aerial progress is smaller and closer and more intimate to your body. And um, he has a really great take which on, on artificial intelligence that is finds itself in the middle between um, people that think that it's going to take over the world for the, and, and make things worse. And then there's people that are like super ultra optimists about it that think we're going to have flying cars and, and greenery everywhere and right. all these buildings, right? Like you, you envision this, this way of life. Utopia. That, yeah. yeah. This utopia. And he's like, I'm just an AI pragmatist that believes that technology should be unchained and un, under less regulated than most people on the uh, doomsday side believe he finds himself in between the, the Elon Musk and the, and the and the op, the techno optimist and he calls it techno pragmatism and ai pragmatism and i think that, that was like, like an easy an interesting way of looking at things i also think the way he framed it in the podcast w- was important because if you were to apply that to polit- politics to be politically pragmatic would be just so effective but we are so dogmatic in finding our side and if we could just be more pragmatic about it we would all be so much happier and we'd argue so much less and we'd have less people that are constantly sending gotcha articles about mm-hmm. the the political party in power that day, and um, applying the the word pragmatism and and not getting extreme mm-hmm. is just a, such a powerful idea that would make people happier, more effective in what they do and how they communicate with people. So I highly recommend that podcast. Again, it's securities. What it's WTF happened? What in in AI in 2023. Mm. Really 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 good interview and it 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 covers all the way from media, artificial intelligence impact in media all the way across to to flying cars. Mm. So well worth it. That's what I would be listening to. Some perspective around the yeah. holiday season. Exactly. Um and in the newsletter again, check it out. I have a lot of stuff in there. It's everything I'm reading, writing and watching. So, check it out. 
let's get to 2024. Yeah. To do a quick, re- I think next episode for sure, review of our favorite 23 things. Yeah, 2023 20, things, yeah, not 23 and then, things. And then 24 predictions. And 24 for predictions. Yeah. I don't know if I can make that many. I can invent anything, though. It's what I'm, I'm so creative. <laughs> yes. Totally. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs>